everybody welcome welcome to your rights at work chris garlock here with ed smith and if you've got questions and i know you do about your workplace rights the ones you have the ones you don't have the ones you wish you had give us a call 202-588-0893 that's 202-588-0893 ed you got a little something something for us i got a little something something first of all what a beautiful spring-like day good to see you dad and uh, looking forward to the show. Hey, um, you know, there's something called the Labor Radio Podcast. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of it, Chris, but there's over 100 shows just like this on a podcast. You can go and check them out, laborradionetwork.org. And uh, I think there's some really good stuff that's out there. Oh, I see 175 Labor Who's Radio counting? Podcasts. Who's counting? There's a lot of them. All right. We have got a jam-packed show. Uh, first of all, and I am just so excited, just found out about this yesterday. Uh, Ed, I know you are as well. I am a longtime fan of the farmer's market. Used to go to them up in Rochester. Anytime I'm traveling, I go to local farmer's markets. I've been going to them in the D.C. area the entire time I've been here, 25 years, and they just organized a union. I, I, the coffee shops are organizing. The farmer's markets are organizing. I tell you what, Amazon will not be far behind. That, that's, that's, that's my prediction here. Uh, Pasha Vicenko sure. and Jesslyn Zakes are two of those workers. They are going to join us to talk about why they organized the Fresh Farm Union. Then, it's a very unusual case of job safety. Actor Alec Baldwin was recently charged with involuntary manslaughter in a tragic shooting death on a movie set last year. Actor Harold Phillips is going to join us to share his perspective on safety, rights, and responsibilities. And our final guest today, everybody knows this guy. He's a longtime labor activist. PFW listeners will know him. Bill Fletcher. Bill's got a new book out. His second novel is called The Man Who Changed Colors, and I can't wait to have Bill on later this hour. That's all coming up today on uh, Your Rights at Work, 202-588-0893. Uh, we're going to get to our guests in just a second, Ed. I have got a couple of uh, labor headlines that I need to share with you Um <clears throat> And, you know, I always have to preface this. I'm not making this stuff up. I, I, it just it just comes in. I am just just bring it. There's a new bill in, uh, introduced in Iowa. I've been to Iowa. They are rolling back child labor laws to allow 14 year olds to work hazarded job. We're talking mining. We're talking meatpacking. We're talking logging. Now, now, Ed, before you get all upset, it's OK, because it's, this can only happen as long as they're done under an approved training program. Aren't you relieved? Oh, my God. Thank God for that language, right? <laughs> I, what century are we living in, Chris? That is this a very is, good question. That one slipped by me. Hey, I know you got labor headlines. I don't know if this is one, but this is a huge one. Oh, uh, almost 4,000 graduate student employees in Johns Hopkins just last week voted to unionize with a 97% uh, pro vote for the union. Unbelievable. 
Incredible. Oh, no, that was in your headlines. Uh, no, but we covered it in Union City. If you want to read our story, go to dclabor.org. Thank you for sharing. Ed, you're doing uh, news headlines. Uh, this is just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta, it's a wide lane. I am happy to yeah, share Trying to take over your news. <laughs> no, no, no. All good. Uh, let, before we move off that other story, I just got to tell you, um, Charlie Wishman, he's the president of the Iowa Federation of Labor. This is what Charlie had to say. He said, this is just crazy. I think that about sums it up, don't you? Yeah, um, and it, the bill was introduced. Uh, hopefully it'll die. We'll have, I mean, hopefully it hopefully, won't go anywhere. Yeah, uh, man. Uh, <laughs> the, well, at least Iowa is, you know, uh, House and Senate, so they have to go through that. Uh, I, I can't remember. Is there governor or Republican or Democrat? I don't remember. Somebody will know that. I bet Harold will know. We'll bring him on in a second. All right. Probably, probably uh, a Republican. <laughs> I am not going to talk about the State of the Union speech. There's been plenty of other people talking about it, but I did have to bring up, did you see Sarah Gwynn May? She was the Iron Workers Local 44 member. She's been with Iron Workers Local 44 in Ohio for more than 30 years. She got a major shout out in President Biden's speech. He met her last month when he went to Covington, Ohio. Uh, they're putting $1.6 uh, billion into something called the Brent Spence bridge um and sarah said that she couldn't wait to be 10 stories above the ohio river building that new bridge really impressed biden uh he said god bless her that's pride that's we're also building we're building back pride but my favorite quote actually came from bono who was sitting next to sarah at dinner in the white house i bring this up because you know bono musician you're a musician uh <clears throat> So Bono said, told her, oh, you're the badass iron worker. And Sarah said, yes, sir, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Good for her. That, yeah, that's super. Um, she won't be in the Trump uh, State of the Union, I'm sure. No, she won't. All right. One last thing before we go to our guests. I need some help from you, Ed. You know, I normally book the guests, but I, I need to check in with you. I just got an email just before airtime. Wants to know if we're interested in an expert interview with somebody called Naveen Bateja, who's the EVP. She's the chief people officer at, I'm not making this up, Metadata Solutions. And uh, Naveen will give us tips for responsibly managing layoffs. He's rolling his phone. You can't see, folks. He's rolling his eyes. Ed is rolling his eyes. Now, no, no, stay with me. Stay with me. Now, this this email, and, and Harold, I can see Harold's laughing too. Harold is, is also a broadcaster. We'll talk to him in a second. So the email took note of the recent Disney mass layoffs, quote, joining hundreds of other organizations forced to lay off workers this quarter. Do you have a, do you have a little violin for me there, Ed Smith? Yeah, but the audience won't be able to see it. Um, <laughs> you know, well, I'll let you finish, and then I'll comment. Uh, uh, another one was the CEO of Zoom, which you and I are on right now. A guy named Eric Yuan said that 1,300 employees, that's about 15% of their workforce, are going to be laid off. And uh, Eric is going to be taking an 89% pay cut himself. It does not say what that leaves Eric with. Uh, <laughs> the good news, I guess, is that the employees who are laid off are going to get 16 weeks of salary and health care coverage. Now, the email says financial compensation is one step in the right direction. But the question remains, how can organizations handle layoffs better? Naveen will be able to tell us about compassionate detachment and how leaders can use it to manage layoffs better. I guess I should go ahead and book Naveen pronto, right? What do you think? 
Uh, yeah, maybe when I'm on vacation. <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, unfortunately, the layoffs are a fact of life in many, many decades, many years. And uh, there are ways to do it properly. The, the, the best way to have layoffs is to have a union representing you so you can negotiate how they happen. And, um, uh, you know, wasn't uh, there a movie about this with George Clooney who used to fly on a plane and he would give layoffs to people uh, all the time and uh, a very good movie, if I remember. Up in the I air. wouldn't want Yeah, thank you. I wouldn't want to be somebody that had to do it. Uh, I have had many, many experiences with uh, union members and layoffs, especially back in the 90s when there was a uh, base closures uh, uh, all across the country. And I remember one in particular, they had three rounds of layoffs down in um, south uh, southeastern Virginia. And that company or that uh, particular, um, I think it was uh, Air Force can't remember whether it was an Air Force base or not, but they had they went from like 2,000 workers down to like about 300 before it all ended, and then they hmm. finally shut it down. And, and the, the scary thing was is that there were fathers and mothers and daughters and sons that all worked at this particular um, uh, place. And, you know, going down there for three days at a time, just watching people just break down. Uh, and employers sometimes... Yes, sometimes it's inevitable that they're last, but I think a lot of employers don't realize the true effect of losing your job through no fault of your own has on people. And what it does to the community a lot, on, on a lot of those base closures, the, the community, that was it. That was that was the basic means of employment. Uh, you know, whether you uh, like the military industrial complex or not, people earn their, that's how they eat. And that was their bread and butter. And uh, a lot of them couldn't find jobs. Uh, it's layoffs are the hardest thing to negotiate and to deal with and to talk to people about, Oh, Chris, I'm sorry. You're, you are going to be one of the ones laid off because you don't have enough seniority and you can't qualify for this position. And you have to tell them that from a union perspective so that they know they're getting the truth. And then I have to look you in the eye and talk you through it. It's, and so this whole Orwellian, uh, Word wordsmithing annoys me uh, to no end. Okay, I'm done. 202-588-0893. If this annoys you too, as it annoys both me and Ed, you're listening to your rights at work. All right. Uh, So we're going to bring our our first guest. That's what we're going to bring our whole couple of panel of guests in here. Uh, it's it's kind of fun to mix and match here, but uh, I have not met our first guest today. They're already some of my favorite people. As I mentioned, I I, I cook, I shop, I love my local farmer's markets. That's always my first place. I I try and get everything at the farmer's market, and then I go to my union supermarket and get the rest of the stuff. Um, I go to the one in Silver Spring in Tacoma Park. Now, Pasha Vicento, she works at Foggy Bottom Farmer's Market. I've been to that one. And Jesslyn Zakes works at the Arlington Courthouse Market, which I have not been to. Uh, and though they just organized the Fresh Farm Union, which is part of UFCW Local 400. So, Pasha and Jesslyn, thanks so much for joining us on Your Rights at Work. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thrilled to be on. Oh man. And uh let me just go ahead and bring in uh Harold Phillips. Um he's he's gonna be uh with our second segment uh because he's the actor. But Harold is also hosts his own podcast up there in Washington State. Harold, I know you have a few uh, farmers markets uh, up your area, so I want to make sure you're paying attention and can spread the word from Pasha and Jesslyn, because I bet you guys don't have a union up there in Washington State, do you? Uh 
Oh, well, if we do have a farmer's market union, uh, I don't know about it, but I'm sure going to find out. All right. Uh, Hasha or, or, or Justin, you guys can sort of figure out how you want to do this. But first of all, tell me, how did you guys get into working at the farmer's market and how do I do that? <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so uh, the farm. The, we work for Fresh Farm, which is a local nonprofit organization, and um, it's a network of farmers markets. Fresh Farm has other things that they do, but um, I, I'd say the thing that they're most known for is um, definitely the farmers markets. Um, and personally, I started working at Fresh Farm in college. Um, it was my work study. Um, I was a garden assistant. I was helping out, um, you know, growing. Uh, Fresh Farm also has a lot of um, urban farms that they uh, incorporate into education in um, schools with their food prints program. Um, and, but then I saw the, the offer to work at a farmer's market. I mean, I love farmer's markets. Who, who doesn't love farmer's markets? And, um, yeah, I've been at the Arlington courthouse market, um, for like two and a half years now, and I've loved it so much. Um, yeah, Pasha, if you wanted to share. Yeah, for sure. So Jesslyn actually introduced me to Fresh Farm uh, coming out of college, and I was always interested in uh, food systems, and I was able to have the chance to do like a community garden uh, farm plot when I was uh, isolating during the worst of COVID, and it kind of brought me back into that, and I was happy to uh, learn about Fresh Farm through my friends, and I'm coming on my second year now of uh, running the Foggy Bottom Farmer's Market. Um, and it's been incredible. I really enjoy the, the work that we do. It's a very important role that we fulfill and it's really uh, self-fulfilling work. You feel very, I feel very validated in having a positive impact in my community by doing all the things that we do by running these farmers markets. You, you never see a grumpy face at the farmers market. You just don't. The people, <laughs> you know, the people that work there, the people that shop there, the, the vendors, you know, every, everybody, even the dogs are smiling. And, although, although you can't bring them to the, the Tacoma doesn't allow the, the, the dogs. Um, before I bring Ed in, uh, Harold, feel free to jump in with questions or comments, brother. Uh, Ed Smith. Hey, thanks for coming on. And Chris, I suspect that you can join and as a worker by just talking to Pasha and Jesslyn. So if you want to uh, leave this job, uh, you know, maybe you got it in uh, now. Um, anyway, uh, really glad to have you guys on board. Uh, let's start with you, Pasha, and uh, and then Jesslyn, uh, if you want to add to it. Or uh, So first of all, had you ever been involved in union work before or family uh, union members or, and what made you think that this was the time to move in the union direction uh, for this company? Um, so, no, I don't have any uh, family that have been part of uh, a union or anything like that. This is my first union experience, but uh, being a part of a lot of these organizations in college before I joined Fresh Farm with a lot of these friends that I work with now kind of opened me up to realizing just how powerful unions are. And I think that the pandemic really opened up a lot of eyes of workers and just how how important it is to have more of a voice in the workplace. And so actually, it's funny, it made it harder for us to organize because so many union organizers were taking so many cases for bargaining units. Um, so we were able to thankfully find one, but it took a long time just to get a union organizer. But we had a lot of conversations through the summer. There's been union uh, attempts, unionization attempts in the past in Fresh Farm. And so through a lot of talks with our friends over the summer, we we're finally on September 8th able to decide that we thought that unionizing was the right thing to do and that we had to uh, advocate for ourselves a little bit better and make it maybe even easier for Fresh Farm to address our needs when we're talking as a collective through one person rather than all of us individually trying to have unilateral conversations with our employer. Yeah, I'll just add to that. Um, I, I found as a lot of people in our organizing committee, like 
had never had any experience at all, like organizing or with unions. A lot of us were like, this is the first time we're doing this. We don't really know what we're doing, but we're trying our best. Um, and we're really grateful for the guidance from um, UFCW Local 400 um, that really like helped us and pushed us through. And yeah, I think like, I don't know if, uh, you know, if you guys are aware, but I don't know, the, the Venn diagram of like union supporters and farmers market workers are, you know, it's, it's maybe not a circle, but it's, you know, it, it's a similar type of people. So really from the, the start, we had a ton of support. Um, a lot of people that we work with just knew like that unions are important. Um, it doesn't really matter where you work, but being able to have a voice in your workplace is extremely important. So yeah, that's kind of our experience. A quick follow-up, um, and then we'll get to Harold. Uh, number one, did the employer fight you? And number two, a more esoteric question is, uh, a lot of people in the labor movement are looking to the uh, younger workers uh, with inspiration now. Do you see a generational difference in um, activism and basically maybe overcoming the fears that many uh, people in my generation had in organizing? And then we'll go to Harold. Sorry to jump at you, Harold. Yeah. So whoever. Yeah, I can pop in. Um, really, we uh, we did ask for voluntary recognition at first from Fresh Farm, and they did not give us that. Um, but other than that, there was very little. Um, you know, I think that they they wanted us to have an election because they wanted it to be you know decided upon about everyone who is eligible. So, so I you know I support that and. Um, yeah, we've, and then they posted on their like Instagram account uh, yesterday uh, to announce that we had unionized. So I'm really, really confident going forward that we'll be able to work with management. And yeah, um, and speaking on, and Pasha, you can follow up, after, you can add anything after me, like speaking on like the difference of generations, um, I just think that uh, young people, like part of, you know, Pasha and I are, you know, Gen Zers, I guess. Um, Young people are just really, uh, I feel like feeling like the future is a bit bleak. And um, I think that we have a shared experience of just kind of being, you know, upset with the, the state of the country and being generally anti-capitalist in that sense. Um, so I think it really resonated with a lot of people our age. Um, but, you know, Fresh Farm does have market managers who are from, you know, many different age groups. And it was really like rewarding and great to like kind of come together and bridge the gap. I think a lot of people of older generations really um, kind of struggle with um, some of the propaganda of anti-union propaganda that happened, you know, in the 20th century. And I think that um, it was really coming, you know, overcoming different barriers um, between different, the different generations um, that we were able to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, and I'll just quickly add that um, I think that uh, with with some people um, from prior generations, they may think that like maybe unions have had their heyday or something like that. And we just haven't seen a, a country for ourselves where unions were as powerful as they once were. And not to mention the fact that we're kind of living with like this new age of like corporate um, uh, you know, uh, spying on their workers and things like that. And I, I just hope that our uh, message and our story could inspire other uh, young people to take up the torch and and be able to continue to unionize in every other industry. And and I, I'd love to be a resource to anybody who's listening. That's wonderful. Uh, Harold, quick question for you before we let uh, Jesslyn and, and Pasha go. 
Yeah, uh, thanks so much, Chris. And uh, thanks, Jessalyn and Pasha, for talking about way back in the 20th century. That makes uh, the three of us feel really young. Um, But I just wanted to loop around to something you said earlier about the guidance that you received from UFCW 400. Now, you folks formed an organizing committee and you got guidance from UFCW 400. Where did... How did that sequence happen? You know, some of the listeners, they may be thinking about their workplace. They may be thinking about, yeah, maybe we should unionize, but they don't really know how they get started. So what was the sequence? Did you guys start talking about a union first and then reach out to 400? Did 400 come to you and say, hey, have you guys thought about this? How how did that all come together? Um, Oh, sorry about that. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Pasha. Um, so uh, essentially, uh, we had a lot of um, talks about unionizing in the past, and they all kind of fell through because nobody really knew what to do. They'd go to webinars and things like that to see if they can get information, but it wasn't all that easy. And so eventually, it kind of came to a, to a, a point where uh, we didn't want to wait any longer, and I just decided to, and others, to reach out to as many of these union organizers as possible and just start that dialogue and just see what they could do for us. A lot of the times, it would be, you know, not necessarily wasted time because we were trying to see what our uh, our options were, but um, they were able to get back to us, and they're super friendly, and it's just a matter of uh, seeing which union and union organizer would make sense for your industry and, and whether or not you align with their values and things like that. And within, like, maybe you know, two weeks, we were able to get a pretty good idea for like three different unions that we thought would be a good cho- uh, choice moving forward and just had a conversation with the rest of our uh, our uh, co-workers to see where we wanted to go from there. And it was actually a lot easier than I would have anticipated. Everybody's very friendly when it comes to union organizers. Yeah. And, and also, even before that, um, we actually um, organized a letter that was signed by 35 staff members. Um, it was kind of a, you know, it was a suggestions letter. Uh, these are issues that we've seen at Fresh Farm. We want to make Fresh Farm a better place for us to work. These are some suggestions. And we had a really great base um, based on that letter. Um, and we submitted that letter. We didn't really see the um, response that we would have liked from um, management. And that kind of sparked um, a desire to, you know, have something more official, something that um, is actually going to guarantee our rights um, as workers in in the um, workplace. So from that letter, I think it was um, easier to make a transition to um, a union and then also reaching out to, to local unions in that sense as well. Uh, Pasha and Justin, we are so excited and congratulations uh, on organizing. Uh, we're going to be tracking this as you get, of course, and the, the next thing is negotiating the contract. And so we're going to want to be checking in with you as we go forward. Uh, but we'll definitely be looking for you at the uh, local farmers markets. And again, thanks again for uh, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. All right. Take care of this. Pasha Vesenko, he works at the Foggy Bottom Farmer's Market, and Justin Zakes works at the Arlington Courthouse Market. You can look for them there or any uh, of the farmer's markets uh, around, and we have a story and a whole list of uh, all the different uh, unionized farmer's markets at dclabor.org. You are listening to Your Rights at Work with Chris and Ed here on WPFW. And we're going to hold Harold over. Uh, He's going to talk about this, uh, as I mentioned at the top, this unusual case of job safety. I'll be honest, Harold. Um, 
I, you know, I, I watch a lot of movies, as you know, I do the DC Labor Film Festival. Um, I had not really thought about job safety, uh, you know, other than I'm aware of the long hours that actors and, and techs work on films. But when uh, Alec Baldwin was recently charged with involuntary manslaughter in the tragic shooting death on the uh, set of Rust last year, um, you actually brought this up in a, in a in a meeting with the Labor Radio Podcast Network. I thought, huh, this is this is really a workers issue. So I wanted to get I, I, and folks, I want you to be clear. Um, Harold's not a lawyer. He's not speaking on behalf of the union. He's just talking as a rank and file actor who has, uh, I think, either handled guns or done or worked with similar kinds of situations. Right, Harold? So, yeah, yeah, I've I've handled firearms on set. Um, and uh, Chris, don't sell yourself short about your knowledge about the industry, because you also have your own podcast, Labor Goes to the Movies, where I know you focus a lot on movies and TV and that sort of thing. But you're right. Um, a film set is a work site. It's, it's a job site, just like a construction site, just like an office. And there are roles in that work site and there's uh, safety measures that we have to take seriously and unfortunately injuries can happen you don't think about that when you're watching the scene on the screen and you see two people talking in a restaurant but what you don't see on the screen are the 30 40 100 people who are behind the camera around those actors with all kinds of different jobs and so like any job site with that many people there has to be a structure to ensure that people have a safe place to work well let's just remind folks in this particular instance and we don't need to get into the, you know, all the details but basically it's a western uh alec baldwin is pointing a gun at somebody in it and and what happened was he he well i don't it's not clear whether he pulled the trigger or not um uh, but the gun went off and uh had a live round in it and i believe it was a cinematographer if i'm not mistaken uh harold who was killed director of photography director yeah, of photographers thank yeah. you I mean, those those two terms can be um, interchangeable in some cases, but uh, yeah, it was tragic. Uh, it was a tragic circumstance all the way around. And um, now we've gotten to the point where the uh, law enforcement agency there has charged Alec Baldwin and the armorer on the film with involuntary manslaughter as a result of that accident. Well, I know Ed, Ed wants to get in this too, but but I mean, so I guess my question is, you know, so you're the actor and, and you are the actor, <laughs> literally, and I assume somebody hands you the gun. I think uh, uh, they're called an armorer. There's somebody who's responsible uh, for dealing with the guns. And my assumption would be that the armorer had checked the gun and that there is a blank or whatever it is, that, th that, that there's not a bullet in the darn gun so the question becomes, and now it's a legal question because Alec Baldwin is, you know, being charged with this is, you know, is, uh, would you as the actor think that you're supposed to, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm, <laughs> how does this work? <laughs> Help me out. Well, I mean, you're, you're actually treading into some of the confusing situations that are at the root of this case, right? You're correct that the armorer is the person who oversees those weapons. Um, and in an, in an ideal situation, I believe the armorer would actually pass the actor the gun and tell the actor that the gun is safe, uh, cold 
is also a term that's used on the set to say that there's there's no loads or rounds in it. Um, there there are some conflicting reports as to whether it was the armorer who actually passed the gun. But the important thing to remember here, I think, is you're right. As the actor, you are trusting in the armorer to give you correct information about that firearm. And um, it's not the actor's job necessarily to be a firearms expert. It's the job of other people on that set in that workplace. So this is one of the issues with this charging is uh, they're saying that the actor in this case has behaved negligently by not being a firearms expert. And that's really not the actor's job. That's somebody else's job on set. Ed Smith. Yeah, I follow this a little bit and I'm just so, so confused. My biggest confusion and I can't get away from it is how does a live round get in the gun in the first place? I mean, it's a it's a it's a movie set. You would think that there should not be any live rounds at all in any gun in any movie in the history of movie making. So, and then was was Mr. Baldwin was part of the charges because not only was he actor, but didn't he have another role in the film? Wasn't he a producer or something like that? Wasn't that how they were tying him into it? I I, I don't remember all the details. I know it's troubling and just very upsetting. Yeah, right. I mean, that that is part of where things get muddy, right, is that um, Baldwin was a producer on the film, though I think it's important to realize that there are different levels of producer on a film. You, you watch the credits <laughs> like at the beginning, producers. right? Yeah. And and sometimes it's the big stars names and sometimes it's names that you you may or may not recognize. Sometimes that producer credit gets assigned as um, a compensation mechanism, let's say, you know, so they're, they're getting a, a piece of the revenue in exchange, that, well, that kind let, of thing. Let me, let me just cut through here. Producer, whatever kind of producer is, it still doesn't make him an armorer, right? Right. Carol Phillips. So, so, so set that aside. I'm, I'm back with Ed on this, which is, and, and with you, I guess, which is, I mean, I don't want to draw it out, but I mean, if you had to check every single thing, you know, does the, you know, it does the bridge, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of things that you, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm asking you as an actor now, I'm assuming there's a lot of things that you rely on, you know, that when you lean against a wall, it's not going to fall over. <laughs> I mean, not to put too fine a point on it. Yeah. Um, and it gets back to Ed's second question, you know, um, how, how did a live round get into the gun? You know, that is the big question and um that is one of the things that there should be a structure in place to make sure that doesn't happen the armor is a part of that um and you know again there's lots of conflicting reports out there as to what might or might not have happened but at the end of the day the actor the worker on set in front of the camera relies on the other people to give them good information so that they can do their job which is to act to do the stuff in front of the camera with the lines, with the facial expressions. That's what they do. Just in the last couple of minutes before we wrap this segment, Harold, um, one of the other things, and this may be where Ed's point becomes more relevant in, in Baldwin's uh, role as a producer and, and to the extent how, how much of a producer he was, 
one of the things in, in following this that, that I saw um, was that apparently uh, this was something that was being done on a fairly tight budget. Um, people, uh, union members had quit this uh, set because they were concerned about shortcuts that were being uh, done. Now, it's not clear to me, and maybe you have more information, whether those shortcuts had anything to do with the, you know, maybe how a live bullet, I, I don't know. So, but there did seem to be some, I mean, it sounded to me like your sort of classic, you know, crappy job site, frankly, uh, potentially. What do you think? Yeah, you know, and um, I hate to say it, but uh, on on small budget movies and on big budget movies, that kind of thing can happen. Uh, you mentioned long hours before. Movie and TV sets can have very long hours. Um, tight budgets, trying to make the day, as we say, get the number of scenes shot in a day that you have planned so that you don't go over the time that you budgeted. And that's often where mistakes are made. Um, and it's sad because really safety should always be job one. There was a situation a few years ago uh, with a movie about, I think it was Dwayne Allman, um, where they were shooting on some train tracks and a train hit one of the technicians, uh, a woman named Sarah Jones. And it became a rallying cry in the industry that we should always make safety job one. We should never, ever be in a situation where we're so desperate to get the shot that somebody gets hurt or killed. And sadly, here we are again. Wow. And and uh, just, a, I guess, a final question, Harold. Um, you know, just as, as an, an actor, seeing a fellow actor charged you know, with something that, you know, at least from, you know, from your point of view, and this is, there was a statement from SAG-AFTRA, you know, um, you know, being charged, uh, being held responsible for something which is not your responsibility, does that, is that sort of have a chilling, well, let me just ask you, what, what effect is that having? Well, I think this situation is its own situation, right? Um, I think there's a lot of factors in play, not the least of which is the high profile nature of uh, the, the person involved. But I can tell you, Chris, I remember pretty vividly my first thought when I heard the news that this shooting had happened in New Mexico. And I wasn't thinking about the guy who played the last president on Saturday Night Live or the big star or the person who makes headlines. I was thinking about what it would be like to be an actor with a weapon and having that weapon go off and kill someone and thinking about how completely shattering that would be. Um, yeah, I don't know about the long-term repercussions of this particular case, but I think that's something that all of us, when we do handle a firearm on set, need to keep in mind is that um it's a dangerous place accidents can happen and it's not our job to make sure that those weapons are safe but we all have a role to play in safety on our job site just like everybody on every job site has a role to play 
Harold Phillips, it's uh, really appreciate you bringing this uh, perspective from uh, from the ground level on this, and we'll continue to follow us. And uh, you know, depending on how it goes, we may have to have you uh, have you back. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it, Harold. Thanks, brothers. Appreciate it. Harold Phillips, he is an actor. He's also a fellow labor radio host. He's based out of Washington State, and he does a lot of work with us on the Labor Radio Podcast Network. That is it for this week's Your Rights at Work, produced today, Kalia Chapman. Remember, you can also catch today's show on our podcast. Just search for Your Rights at Work. We will see you all next week. Take care, Ed. Take it easy, everybody. This is a public service announcement. We'll get time.